Welcome to Between the Binary, a limited series podcast highlighting the priorities, prospects and challenges of technology in the Global South through the voices of experts in and from the Global South. Between the Binary picks up on three concepts in the digital age of societies that either fit within or straddle the Global South-Global North divide, of stakeholders in the landscape increasingly underwritten by the binary code of ones and zeros, and of countries caught in the middle of deepening fissures in the technological space. This podcast is curated for the John H. MacArthur Research Fellowship Program in cooperation with the Asia-Pacific Foundation of Canada. I'm Elena Noor, one of the two inaugural MacArthur Fellows and your host for this series. Today, I'm so pleased to have the company of Fitriani Bintang Timor, who is a researcher at the Center for Strategic and International Studies in Indonesia. Fitri's work has focused on the intersection of gender and defense and security. And she's one of the few women in Indonesia I know of who has been involved in cyber developments in Southeast Asia. So Fitri, I'm really happy to have you on today. And I want to, if I could, kick off this conversation with you about some of Indonesia's and Southeast Asia's most pressing technology priorities for the country and for the region. You know, very often we hear in the media and read reports about the U.S.-China technological rivalry. But from where you're sitting in Jakarta, what do you see as a key technology agenda for Indonesia and the region? Hi, Alina. Thank you for having me here. Um, those are a big question that you asked me. And from where I'm sitting in Jakarta, we kind of feeling the heat of the great power rivalries and between the U.S. and China and how it makes Indonesia as well as countries in ASEAN, Southeast Asia in a situation that in the middle sort of. And, and what we don't want to do is to choose between the U.S. or China for technology. And that global power rivalry has left Southeast Asia, including Indonesia and other countries in the global south in the situation of, you know, having a lower technological gap because this great power countries are developing their own cybersecurity capacity and capability. And what we, uh, I think what Indonesia, at least from my perspective, need is to increase our cybersecurity resilience as well as other countries in the region to make sure they're not being put in the middle and being some sort of perceived as a proxy due to um, lack of capacity and capability to protect its cyber infrastructure. But in terms of, if I can say, um, the situation uh, more focusing on the people, we see cybersecurity as there's two types, right? The attack toward the cyber infrastructure, uh, as well that criminality or insecurity that is directed or enabled by everything cyber these days. In Indonesia that I see in the focus that my work is that we see the increased number of the digital uh, world being used to do gender-based violence. And that uh, would, I think, need to be sensitized is how cybersecurity or cyber and technology being sensitized through using the gender lens to provide, you know, protection and provide empowerment for um, not women as well as gender minorities that are somewhat in the lower access 
to, to the digital and technology, as well as having lower access of knowledge and literacy, digital literacy. So that's where I'm, I'm currently focusing on, on that concern. I hope I sound uh, clear on that sense, or I just like just answering to you what's in my mind right now. Yeah, no, no. And you mentioned a list of really important issues that don't get enough air coverage when we talk about cyber and technological priorities, whether it's in Indonesia or in Southeast Asia more broadly. And I'd like to have you unpack a little bit more about gender-based violence through technologies or in cyberspace that you talked about and based on your work on, on the intersection between gender and security, what is currently being done or not to address this issue in Indonesia? I think in Indonesia, there's perhaps not only in Indonesia, in most of the world, they don't see that technology, the use, the development and the impact is gendered. So I think there needs to be increased uh, consciousness in terms of how we develop design uh, and how we put security, uh, the defense and cyberspace, as well as the development of uh, the usage, uh, a response to the usage of cyber and developing technologies are impacted women and also other gender minorities in a way that they're not being discussed enough. Because most of the uh, traditional approach to technology, they, they don't see it as gender. They see it as a technology as a tool, but didn't see it from a way that it impacted differently to different gender. It does not take into account from the design perspective how many women, for example, or gender minorities are being asked or being um, you know, empowered to help with the design as well as how we can improve the standardization, how to make it secure, and how if that technology is there, if the usage is actually harmful for targeted group that probably having difficulty to access help, what can be done, you know, the response to it and how that will play out in the society. Of course, we see the positive side of technology. It's enable us to have information on prices, uh, doing our activities, uh, help us with uh, increased uh, mobility and access and communication. But what are the access to it that is particularly impact the, the increase of the uh, the hatred, misogyny, uh, the attack to the part of society that is, you know, having less of capital, less of access, less of education, and also having more stereotypes put on them, which is that I say mostly in most society uh, are women and uh, the gender minority. For example, in Indonesia, we saw the increase of gender-based violence having crippled uh, in the face of COVID-19, where people are accessing the technology in a higher volume. And that said that if you cannot have the policy, okay, we, we limit the mobility. Now everybody have to go to get their education online. They have to uh, shop online. They have to do everything online and uh, preparation in a way that we make sure that for all the gender, they have the same entry point ability, capability, as well as knowledge to access those 
digital platform and having knowledge of how to protect themselves in the online space. So having this increase of gender-based violence in Indonesia, the Commission for the Eradication on Violence Against Women have alerted the, the report that they receive of the 300% increase, three times increase of the gender-based violence perpetrated online. And they have called the government to action as well as the society to be aware of this issue. And uh, there have been changes. There is a online reporting platform that they can do. There is mechanism of how to, for example, to make the uh, platform accountable to help with the violence to not uh, continue and not recur. But that was quite a surprise for Indonesian as well, at least uh, in, in the side of gender-based uh, violence that occurred digitally in the COVID-19 situation. That's really interesting that you brought out the issue of the importance of raising awareness from the very start, from the design, from the conceptualization, the build of technology, and raising awareness about gender-based violence, particularly during the pandemic. Because when I think of Indonesia, I think of very strong women who have held leadership positions, but just throughout history, you also have in your country a really solid trajectory of women's participation in political life, but also in fighting for independence. And I think what we often miss when we're talking about Indonesia is that some of this misogyny still takes place despite all the achievements that have been done on the gender front in Indonesia. Do you think that there is space to discuss these issues, the intersection of gender and technology and the security of women in technology, participation and access of women in technology between Indonesia and other countries in Southeast Asia and between Indonesia and other countries in the global South? Has this been done? And if it hasn't already been done, are there opportunities to do so? That's a great question. I think um, within certain pockets, we have that discussion. But of course, that discussion is limited because we know the issue about women as well as gender, not um, monolithic issues. Every part of those groups has their own issue and how they deal with But there are pockets of discussion, for example, Purple Code uh, Initiative, they, they have that uh, digital and gender discussion. There's also discussion, as I mentioned, of race of awareness by the National Commission on the Eradication of Violence Against Women. There's also an activity done by the Minister of Information and in the field of digital literacy. But in specific, having that demand on having more women in the design of technology, having women in the policy-making side of how technology being used and run, and then the protection, uh, organizing the protection toward the impact and access of those technology. We don't have yet a consolidated platform to discuss all that. Uh, the reason is one, we're still trying to uh, have that articulation yet. Because if you don't know the creature, you cannot speak on it, and then you don't know how, what to do about it. The um, organization in Indonesia, like ICT Watch, uh, Purple Code Initiative that I mentioned, as well as SafeNet, they are working towards consciousness raising on how digital and cybersecurity impacted gender in a specific way and a different way. But of course, 
what is the entry point? The entry point is gender-based violence because the number of gender-based violence and the number of people impacted and felt the gender-based violence is real and tangible and make people like, oh yeah, that is that is an issue. But having moved beyond that to actually having that discourse on all oh, what we need to do next is, uh, you know, having women and gender minorities in the design, having women and gender minorities representative in the policymaking. We're not there yet because there's always, first I said that there's an issue of having to know what is digital and cybersecurity is. And the second is there's a discussion and debate on getting women to get to that space you know in the politics uh, the number of women of course is increasing we don't have yet 30% of women in the parliament that number is over 20% of course and it's raising but then the question again what kind of women are those the privileged or are those people that sensitive towards that? The Indonesia have the problem of increasing conservatism as well. And we know about this, right? And, and to what extent those people that actually still dealing with the old type of politics want to make politics in a way that is focusing on the relevant and digital issues at the, the contemporary world, really, well, politics are still being waged on a day-to-day influence making where, where the voices and influence are being made, for example, from the Quran recital uh, meetings and the Friday prayers where women are left unable to access the Friday prayer because it's only a male space, male-dominated space. And also the context of wording of cybersecurity, security and defense, those are labeled as the area of masculine and male-dominated the military and the police are still a male-dominated institution, as well as the cyber security agency. Of course, it's a digital way. The cyber security agency in Indonesia are easier to be open to have the, that, that kind of discussion on gender and having more women there. But how about the military? How about the police? And all of these added to the notion of security and safety, you know, how security and safety being dealt uh, in traditional sense and how it becomes now in a contemporary and digital sense. No, absolutely. And I think you pointed to a number of really pertinent issues about the domination of men in the defense and security sectors. But you're also a supporter of the multi-stakeholder model in cyberspace. Do you think there is a role for civil society organizations, whether they're gender-based or not, to try to raise this awareness that you're talking about when it comes to the importance of gender and technology or gender and cyberspace, more particularly in Indonesia's context? I think spouse is a model of multi-stakeholdership. And uh, of course, the civil society organization, Think Tank Academia in Indonesia would not be able to have that support if we're not creating the network and having the support from other international, both in the global south, as well as international network as well, in terms of how the cyber norms being developed, how the human rights in the cyberspace are being fought, the privacy are being discussed, and the research. You know, uh, UNIDIR, United Nations Institute for Disarmament Research, uh, earlier this year, 
uh, have published a report on gender approach to cybersecurity that I, I'm trying to share uh, in Indonesia, how they can use this approach of gender sensitivity to see cybersecurity and how we can use this uh, in a way. But of course, there's a uh, language barrier there. But what it counts is the intention, right? What it counts is the knowledge and the, the issues being raised and how, for example, as I mentioned, uh, in Indonesia, as well as several other countries in Southeast Asia, there's always the physicalness of when we talk about gender, some people would be more comfortable to talk only for women, but they don't talk about the LGBT communities, the transgender uh, and protection that they need to receive as well. So having that international network, having that connection with the multi-stakeholdership to actually um, account what's their human right, what's considered privacy, and the injustice that they receive offline is reflected as well in the digital sense and how it is a hard work to maintain the network to showcase and to demonstrate that the stereotype exists and how we still need to, uh, you know, break those stereotypes and disparities and provide, you know, the human rights of it. Yes, of course, it is beneficial to, to have that support in terms of the ideas, the connected publication. For example, in Southeast Asia, there is Forum Asia as well, regional organizations that work on uh, raising the awareness of different kind of gender-based violence faced by uh, female activists, female journalists in the region, uh, and how their identity as women as well uh, the activists and journalists from the LGBT community are faced different kind of uh, insecurities online. And that discussion has been sensitized Indonesia as well as Southeast Asia countries to see that this situation exists. Some countries in the region can be more articulate than others, especially those that are already practicing their democratic eloquence compared to others. But I guess it's good that we have this basis connection with the national, regional, and international to have that connection of strengthening each other and raising the awareness as well that the work in digital space is still a work in progress. We, we can enjoy the, the economic development, the increase of welfare, but there's always an excess on that. And uh, those part of the communities that still unsafe, unsecure, and having their rights not being protected are women and gender minorities. And I think that's something that it's important to have that uh, multi-stakeholdership. Because sometimes we know that government, they cannot talk as freely, you know, because they have to be responsible to their constituent. They want to be, especially in democratic sense, they want to be re-elected. They cannot speak as freely about the gender minorities, for example, and how they uh, and safety online need to be protected as well. Well, I think having that multi-stakeholder approach benefiting and uh, having maintained that collaboration is also important. But we know there's a limitation. As we know, there's a limitation what the government can say. And there's also the limitation that um, the civil society think tank have as well in their site. For example, the continued resource that they have, the, the access to knowledge, the access to technology that they have, and the reach that they have are limited. So having that work, having that support of skills, technology, as well as uh, funding is crucial. Yeah, you've really highlighted how essential it is for us to drill down to some of these details that often get lost in the larger strategic discussions about cyber and other technologies. 
And it all boils down to what is local, what is domestic, and really just the details that we need to pay attention to when it comes to building capacity and building resilience. Are there any other last thoughts you have, Fitri, that you think we should all be aware of in Indonesia's case? I think what we need to be aware is that although Indonesia is one of the big driver in ASEAN, the Association of Southeast Asian Nation, but Indonesia itself, it has constraint and limitation to how far it can articulate itself in pushing towards the fairness and safe in the cyberspace as well. I think it's good to ensure that when you do cooperation with Indonesia, as well with other countries in Southeast Asia, to ensure that your capacity building, the skill and technology you transfer, or the cooperation that being made is not only benefiting, you know, the dominant part of the society. The approach needs to be gender sensitive. It needs to take into account of intersectionality, the different groups of society, as well as thinking of how we can make that uh, happen. Because sometimes when you do cooperation projects, sometimes I didn't say it's all of them, but they wanted to have, oh, we want to make it easy. We want to make it fast. We want to headcount and we don't care whether they are inclusive. That kind of approach can be really prolonging the gender injustice, prolonging the disempowerment of a certain part of the society. So I think if we can think about the common denomination issues of entry point, that's what I say. My example is gender-based violence. But we don't only treat the symptoms. We need to actually address the root causes. Not enough women in design, not enough women in uh, policymaking, not enough representatives of the gender minorities, whether their uh, thoughts and concerns are being accounted. How is the approach of the four pillars of women, peace and security, for example, uh, being taken into account, which is the four pillars, participation, protection, empowerment, and respond and relief, you know, and recovery. So I think that kind of approach of being taken into account and being considered as a holistic approach of making the cyber secure. Thank you so much, Fitri, for keeping it real and reminding us that representation and inclusion are just as important offline as they are online. I appreciate your insights and I'm so pleased you made the time to speak to me today. Thanks so much again, Petri. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode and found the conversation useful. This podcast series is made possible by the John H. MacArthur Research Fellowship in cooperation with the Asia-Pacific Foundation of Canada, Canada's leading think tank on Canada-Asia relations. To learn more about the fellowship or the foundation, be sure to visit asiapacific.ca.